best acronym. This is just rolls off the, t- the tongue. Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We're really thinking ahead. Well, no, you clearly are audio guys because that is such a tactile thing as an audio experience. But Gaga. <laughs> All right, I'm Matthew Martinson. I'm Gordon McGladdery. I'm Austin Wintry. This is Beard's Captain in Game Audio. We're here at GDC. Austin, welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. Thank you. I have I, I have a very unimpressive lack of a beard, but I have two cats. Which, one go. of which is like a 400 pounds and part tiger. That, yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a wild cat. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he would be very ineffective in the wild, but he, he, he is large and adorable, and his name is Marimba. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, cats are what kind of... That seemed to be the, ironically... The, well, I guess it's not ironic in this context, but given the audio as the low-hanging fruit, it is funny yeah. that that was like, oh, cats, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's like, do we, we happen to all have cats <laughs> in this field. There seem, does seem to be a lot of cats it's true. in the audio field. I, yeah, it's because they're amazing. It seemed, there seem to be more cat people than dog people. I'm sure there's some dog people out there listening. But well, to be no perfect, no, no, no dog be. person would listen to a podcast called <laughs> Cats in the Audio. So, tell us about yourself to anyone who somehow is listening to this and doesn't know who you are. Tell me, what, what, what is the most salient characteristic of me? Other than having a cat named Rimba and having stubble and not a beard. <laughs> I feel like there's probably very little else to say about that. <laughs> I think maybe we covered it. My cat's name is Marimba. I think that alone says uh, a good amount about my general nerdiness as a musician. Um, well, I don't know. I am obviously a composer. I, I, I always leave GDC with an incredible high-on-life feeling because I really enjoy... Basically every aspect of GDC, I love. I love the sense of community from the game development community at large. Yeah. You know, I, the audio community and composers, sound designers, audio directors, um, for sure. But even uh, beyond that, into the developers and the producers, and I mean, even did you go to the awards last night? Yeah, yeah, we I were. Mean, um, it was like really I was up good. For two awards. Uh, Worked yeah. on, I worked on Invisible Ink. I don't think yeah, I was up for an award. Um, but you were also with uh, Power I was Up. With, yeah, I was with Kevin for your, Fauna Path. Um, oh, Invisible, yeah. Invisible Ink oh, was dude. up for two awards. I, and I love Fauna Path. Because yeah. Ke- Kevin's working on, on a game. Yeah, uh, yeah I work on, with those guys all on, on, on Led to Fire, which yeah. I think is going to change names. But um, and, uh, uh, he, so good. So and, cool. And Banner Saga. I was shocked to won an award. Yeah, I was thrilled for them. Congratulations! Um, yeah, that was awesome. I was, yeah, I was, I was very. Uh, it's actually done. It's actually had a lot of legs uh, in the award season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, just a couple gang award nominations tonight, and um, yeah, you know, it's funny because after Journey, I basically said I'm. I've just had an experience that some people have long successful careers and don't ever have. Yeah, and so I feel in a way. Um, I feel fearfully very lucky and very fortunate and, and lucky truly more than anything at all by, by a mile but I also feel like I've I got something that because some people can have very successful admirable inspiring to their colleagues careers and mm-hmm. not have this kind of crazy explosion yeah um, that I most certainly am never going to count on ever it happening again <laughs> mm. um, 
and I just regard this as a fluke in which I got uh, tremendously lucky and uh, and then really look forward to spending the entire rest of my life and career celebrating the work of my colleagues and not feeling celebrated yeah and so uh, I have been surprised that the Banner Saga has gotten the attention that it that it does because I'm like shaking my fist at the universe going you know, why did this wasn't, happen so soon? This wasn't no, no. It's saying <laughs> no. This, this wasn't this wasn't the arrangement. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. I was supposed to be able to kind of uh, um, enjoy, um, you know, spotlighting my my friends and colleagues from this. So, so, so stop using you know nomination slots for 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 <laughs> our my my you know my humble little brass and percussion uh, weird uh, Viking experiment. Right, um, right. And I'm uh, better. That you know, it, 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 I am very touched by it. Uh, it was a major labor of love that game, but I've, it's I mainly, am, honestly, uh, the attention that it's gotten, I have been very happy about for the really primary reason that it it shines a light on the guys, stoic. This yeah, yeah, that's, they, they they took such huge risks on that huge, game. Huge, well, and and on their whole future because they yeah. they had stable, very well paying jobs at Bioware. All three of them. Yeah. Are you know fam- have families and young kids and stuff yeah. and and they all were feeling dissatisfied with with what they were doing and they they thought you know there are games that we want to make that we're never going to ma- I mean one of them had worked on nothing but Star Wars for ten years yeah wow. we went from like you know like whatever would have been before the old Republic um, into the old Republic which of course was an incredibly long development cycle and so he. They all they pulled their savings and 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 then drained it, yeah, hundred percent, and um, and you know had their Kickstarter and and drained it and put out this game and, and they just they put it all on the line and their stakes were so high because they had families and everything mm-hmm, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and uh, houses and mortgages and all the rest of it and and so everything about that whole game, two years of work on it and the year since has been all about how can. How can I do everything in my power, which is limited, but how can I use my limited power to make that have paid off for them? Yeah, how exactly. Can I, how can I got- pour that into... Because it's not as nearly the kind of risk for me. Because there's always... You know, when you're freelance, you just roam and... and we're working like, on multiple things, yeah, right? Because it's the same exactly. thing for me with like a lot of... Like Viking Squad's the same thing. It's like, these guys are putting so much on the line, but it's just, it's just one gig for me. But I also think that that contributes to... Like that intensity, like life impending, like weight, yeah. really contributes to the originality of the games. There's always, like there's, there's, a, a, there's a desperation. If you can internalize, yeah, yeah, the urgency. There's a great expression I heard once. There's a composer, is a contemporary classical composer named Christopher Rouse, mm-hmm. um, who teaches at Juilliard. He's also writes, you know, modern orchestral work and, and things like that. He he won a Pulitzer for his trombone concerto. And he. Um, he has a wonderful expression or wonderful uh, saying about when a composer's writing something that it should have urgency of expression, which yeah. is basically yeah. his way of saying the piece. You don't sit down to write it; the piece like demands to be has written. To, has to come out now. Yeah. Exactly, and and um, and you get that feeling when the people you're working with will like die if the thing fails. Yeah. Yes, and so you, or else when you're in the shower, yeah, or, it's, well, or at three in the morning. Yeah, that's true. When you're All like, the above. I shouldn't be writing yeah. now. Like Clay has a similar sort of origin story. You know, really? They, uh, I didn't know that. Uh, the, the guys, before I joined the company, but with Shank 1, they they mortgaged the homes, wow. put it all on the line, and if Shank had failed, so would have the company. But, you know, they poured it all in, the public liked it, and we've got to keep making yeah. games ever since. It's amazing. 
Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I love those stories, though. I love, I love that that um, there's something very kind of like naively beautiful about the the very simple idea that I have something I would like to offer to the world, yeah. and I'm going to bet everything on it being worth having been made. Yes. And then the world says, "We agree." Yeah. And please, please. Uh, do it again or continue to do it or whatever the case to me there's that speak I'm a very kind of idealistic person and that really hits me in a sweet spot uh, when those moments happen I've yeah. been so happy for Stoic I mean they're, and they're such the good guys they're really yeah. like yeah. it's not just that they took a it's risk like they're also man. yeah they really are I think my only complaint about Banner Saga is I wanted more VO because it was so excellent <laughs> like I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to hear more of them oh man you should have heard this guy's uh, it's like actual like Icelandic. I can't remember if he's Icelandic or he's Norwegian. All of a sudden, I'm pretty sure he's Icelandic. Yeah, I think um, they're all. Uh, I'm, I have an Icelandic background, so like it really, really? speaks to me. Would never have guessed from your uh, My, you, your <laughs> genetic uh, <laughs> signpost for it. It has finally come in. It has taken. I could not grow a beard to save my life for many years, and then one day it finally just my up, heritage like, what like yeah <laughs> said Iceland. Yes, exactly. Valhalla is calling. Yes. Um, the, so go. the original um, they they did like um, voice tests. For the narrator, and yeah. they knew there were going to be, you know, sections. But they also thought, um, you know, if we VO'd this whole game, we would double the budget. Yeah, I mean, you know, because yeah. it's like twenty thousand lines. Sure, of dialogue, especially you know, if they want to uh, localize it later on. Oh God, yeah, like, unbelievable what? cost. But they, because they knew they wanted your decisions to be meaningful, which means that it had to branch, branch. a ton. Yeah, and so the, the the volume content is it was just, and and they liked also that. Um, Keeping it text-based, let them iterate to the eleventh hour. Oh, it's, yeah! It's and, one of the reasons that we went with uh, instruments as voices for the "Don't Starve" characters is because right. the iterative Same process thing. and the amount of lines we were writing was like you know doing early access two-week updates. We're not going to bring in the actors every two weeks and oh, record yeah, a bunch of lines. Twenty million dollar, and we've got VO budget. eight characters. You know, then they all say something about everything that there is. So it's like, no, okay, that's not an option. But they need to emote in some way. We need to get them. Yep. So it yeah. was uh, Charlie Brown's teacher and Peter and the Wolf. <laughs> That's awesome. Those were the, the influences yeah. that created yeah. that. Yeah. Going, going back to the urgency thing. Yeah. Like when you when you get onto a project, you, you realize talk about urgency. And you realize they, uh, <laughs> you realize that the developers are going through this. Like, what does that translate into for you to like cultivate an urgency in yourself? Is that just like way longer hours and definitely yeah I mean, but truthfully because I love what I do so much yeah I don't need the extra motivation for that I'll yeah. do that on a job that I feel like they've phoned in and don't care about which fortunately I've, I've almost never really had a job like that especially in games but I, I just where I've just again I've been I've been very lucky that that's that's not been the case um, but it's but it's not you know exclusively I definitely have had some some jobs where where they were kind of like, look, you know, just just try to do your best, but uh, it's a, a gig's a gig. Yeah. And yeah. I'm always like, but it's not though. <laughs> like someone's like my, gonna my stamp is on this. Well, and so is yours. Like someone's yeah, gonna yeah. someone's gonna play this. How can you at just some do point. that? Like you know, <laughs> I remember after I worked on um, the remake of Leisure Suit Larry, we recorded Big Band in LA, and Al Lowe flew down from Seattle to come hang out while we did the recording session. I, was like, yeah. I always wanted to hang out with this dude. Yeah. Even yeah. though we had spent a lot of time on the phone and emailing during the course of it. And we, we sat down, and I was, you know, he was asking all about Journey, and, and, and I was telling him some of the crazy stories that happened with people 
uh, getting very personal about their reaction to it and their experience with yeah. their family and all these kinds of things. And, and, um, and he said, you know, the crazy thing is that he said, I actually had experiences like that over the years uh, from Leisure Suit Larry. He said, I would get letters from people that, you know, the game came out in 1987. I mean, he worked on the first seven games. So he said, the first one came out in 1987. And, you know, in 1997, he'd get like a letter from someone saying, you know, I'm 20 years old. And when I was 10, some kids throw baseball in the backyard with their dad, but we played Leisure Suit Larry and we really <laughs> bonded. And, uh, you know, he has. Is you know since passed away or whatever, and I'll always think of that as like that. That game really means something to me now yeah. because it was like a thing that we'd had, you know. And it was yeah, like yeah. So, it, so even a game that that was sort of knowingly and conscientiously ridiculous and sort of stupid in a sense, yeah, um, has that potential to be meaningful. And so the idea of of not caring, mm-hmm. no matter what the content, like yeah. Journey is so is such a like a deceptive example because it's so sort of kind of. Uh, Spiritual, for lack of a better word, yeah. in its design, that you forget that all games have that potential. All yeah. games can can affect people. It and can, it and can sometimes be, it's that it's that communication that people bring to you later on makes it mean more to you as well. Oh, like, I, in a big yeah. way, because there's like the the last song on Rogue Legacy. I kind of I like cranked it out in an afternoon, very quickly, and I was like, this is good. But then the feedback that it got, like, made it so much more meaningful to and me. That, isn't that isn't that hard to describe? Is and amazing. Yeah, I yeah I, I agree. And so so that so the external motivation isn't as um, isn't as hard to, to come by. But what it makes me it makes me just kind of like quadruple check at every step. Like, is this as good as I can possibly make it? Mm-hmm. Because because I'm so aware of the stakes for them. Mm-hmm. And I and I think you know surely this could be better. Surely yeah. it could be. I just I know. I know partly because I also that again it's also less related to any one collaborator but just the idea of like if the answer to that is no it can't be better yeah. then that doesn't that imply that I'm looking at like a perfect musical creation mm-hmm. when am I ever going to believe that about <laughs> no, something I've just written so you just, like, just got to run out of time so yeah exactly that's <laughs> just exactly it that, and uh, no, I'd still be working on Journey if I could be yeah. uh, and I'd still be working on the band I'd still be working on Flow if I could be uh, <laughs> you never you never finish a game you no. just one day you just you honor the it. deadline yeah. <laughs> or yeah. it's imposed upon you mm-hmm. yeah so so it's like it, it does matter to me Yeah. but I don't know that I don't know there's anything left to give under base circumstances. Yes. So, but I, but I nonetheless, I feel like surely it must, um, just because it's such, it's such in the forefront of my mind in a way that it's not when it's being paid for by a publisher or something. And, yeah. and even if the company were to crumble, it doesn't, it's not the same mm-hmm. as just like we're on our own. <laughs> yeah. And on, well, and on a technical note, so you, you're putting in all this extra effort because you have to like, have you found ways to make that process, that creative process, more efficient? To make those judgments? Um, I don't think so, actually. Funny <laughs> yeah. enough, I kind of, I kind of find that having it's 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 interesting because I'm very, my family's German, mm-hmm. and I've always grown up with a certain sense of pride in that German sense of, you know, building the perfect machine. Mm-hmm. And feeling like it's maximally efficient and 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 nothing's wasted. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is that d- despite always, like I love like alphabetizing my spreadsheets. You know, like I, I love to just have like clean 
systems that make sense and, and mm-hmm. you know like I never name pieces of music until I'm until I'm finished they're I've always learned, I've learned that oh man <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I love it because then zone, zone one level one music but it's not actually in level one anymore it's, it's just that that's, in the F-Mod that, session that's it's actually that is like music. final well that's yeah. a whole other issue final final yeah, I, I real final. What I love, yeah. See, those all, all those all need to be suffixes, though, <laughs> because what I mean by that is like for the organizing. I love yeah. the piece being called yeah. like, you know, one point one dash five or something, so yeah. that it, you know, like my actual system is, you know, there's always the suffix of the version, the version number of a piece, and, mm-hmm. and it's always like one a, and the numbers denote changes that I've made, mm-hmm. and the letters, I mean, sorry, the letters denote changes that I've made, and the numbers are. Iterations based on feedback. Right. So yeah. version one A B C D E did it. Means I'm constantly changing things to it. But then as yeah. soon as we get feedback and I realize I need to change it from some other source, it's now That's version two A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so it's like I, I've always been wired to, to kind of love these little like very anal well, that's, things. That's like my strategy for coping with feedback on on projects that are from other directors, where I get to be like one is mine. And then two right. is theirs, so they can make all the changes they want to two. <laughs> that's an interesting. <laughs> that's actually a very interesting. Uh, but I'm, um, I've still got mine here. Jason yeah. Graves uh, said something very interesting once to me about that, where he basically said, "If, if he had a, essentially the same thing, where he said I I spend a lot of time kind of bleeding for my version, mm-hmm. and then then I hand it to them, and now the goal is to get it to the." finish line that makes them happy yeah, yeah. And, and the premise is I'm happy by virtue of the fact that I was ready to show it to them yes so now my job becomes being basically like a service to yeah. manipulate the variables until they're happy with it yeah which and is so it's like composer turned tech support almost yeah, yeah. And, and I thought I've never thought of it that way and that's a very interesting I don't know that I'm quite the same but I think it's a it's a very real way to do it. I think it's a coping mechanism yeah. for me. But a lot of the time, <laughs> the feedback, sometimes the feed, a lot of the projects you work on, the feedback I, I get, I totally agree with. And it's something yeah. I didn't notice. Or am I like, that's a great totally. idea. It's like being an artist back when there was a record industry and having a producer. Yeah, I've started Absolutely. mixing all of our, our music that comes from our, our composers. Because um, I come from a music background and I used to make you know, oh, really? music. And I mostly just, I wanted to mix music again. So I was like, come on, let me, just give me the stems and I'll mix the tracks. Wow. But it's like, he does his composition. I then mix the music and then I give it back to him and go, okay, what changes do you want? Because this is like my interpretation yeah. of what the final sound should be. But in his head, even though he didn't get there, he's got in his head like what parts really need to stick out and what you know mm-hmm. he wanted muted and what he wanted a little better and you know I've hopefully gotten there and he's like oh okay you kind of missed like this should be a little louder and this right. I didn't actually want that accentuated as much as you made it and we just we revise again yep you know yep. and it, it's no comment on that I did a bad mix of his stuff it's just another version right mm-hmm. you know yep and we both collaborate at making the best version of that song and I might think oh well I'm you know we're doing this interactively so I think that this should poke out because of how it's going to fit with the sound effects oh, that, yeah that's you know and then we talk and we do a couple more versions and that's then right. you know eventually we're both happy yeah yep uh yeah, I totally, uh, I totally feel that, and to me, that that is the point of working in a collaborative industry instead of being the the kind of um, lone wolf artiste that goes into his cave and writes music like Charles Ives or something, and, mm-hmm. and just hopes someday someone is interested in it. And to me, the one of the the features of the collaborative arts, like game design, filmmaking, 
is the fact that the final piece is going to ultimately exist at this crossroad of your instincts and someone else's. Yeah. And the interesting twist is that the someone else is probably not a musician. Yeah. And so they make suggestions that are sometimes just so bizarre, but yet they are weirdly inspiring because they, you just, being a musician, you would never have said that. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're like blocked track. from that vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know, like someone will say, I like this, I just feel like it should be more purple, you know? Like, I have no idea what you mean that, by that, but somehow that is very inspiring to me. That that that's funny because that's that's my big producer story. I actually really? had a producer tell me to make a sound more purple, and that's the one. That I tell. literally purple, literally. That's but, hilarious. I almost always say orange when I when yeah. I walk through this like hypothetical with people, and I have no idea why I just said purple. And it's the orange is also a good one of like, what do you do with that? If right. they had said blue. Right, there's enough connotations True. of Actually, blue. Right, right, right. Point. You would have been like, I can, I yeah. can kind of do something with that. Make it more red. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fire. I can spray. Yeah. You know, like purple. Angry. Stupid point. But purple. It's like eggplant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chartreuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> if this kind of brings up a thing of of feedback when when you get feedback that you don't understand mm-hmm. how do you cope with that what do you do always when somebody says make it more orangey purple i always say what is the, what is i always want to unpack what they think the outcome of that's going to be yeah and then i figure out my own language for what my path to that outcome is so for mm-hmm. so and that always ends up meaning let's stop talking about the music and start talking about the game where or if it's a film start talking about the film where they, where you know, it's like, okay, the, tell me what the scene should be. Yeah. Don't tell me what the music is or is not doing. Let's see. I want you to kind of let's take a step into a parallel set of vocabulary of characters or or you know, sort of pacing and story arcs and whatever mm. the case may be. Or maybe it's game mechanics. Let's both and, get into the same emotional state. Exactly. That's like this neutral. Th- like Camp David third party location that has you know that's that's sort of removed from either camp and and therefore we can kind of triangulate off of and so yeah. mm-hmm. because sometimes yeah they'll say something that it, I've I've done this enough that if I were to take at face value what they mean it would probably be like the opposite of what they intend yeah. or mm-hmm. if not the opposite because if it was the opposite then theoretically you could you could run from, from that. Yeah, but yeah. it's like it, it's just wildly off. Yes. Yeah. And it's in it's in some forest somewhere where you really get lost. And then and then the problem then can easily become they are gonna they're they're not quite sure how to redirect you without yeah. saying the same thing. So then they start offering feedback on this thing that's just fundamentally not in the right place. Mm-hmm. So then you iterate and it's like picking at a scab. You're just endlessly iterating on a thing that and it's cellular level is not right yeah mm-hmm. and you go in circles forever and then they get frustrated and they feel like either I'm not communicating or you're failing to to hear what I'm saying and it's yeah. actually kind of neither of those things and so that's why I just say let's just don't even talk to me about the, uh, the music or anything like that let's just have a conversation right. about and the, the little one of the phrases that I'll say to them is um, let's say I'm a player to the game and I've just had your dream ideal experience. Yeah. How do I tell my, what do I tell my friends? What, what do I walk away from this experience with? And they're like, Oh, they should say, I've never felt more happy to be alone or something like that. And I'm like, now see that gives me something huge. Right. You can do something with that. And suddenly now it should be more purple means something to me. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, and then that becomes like the anchor point because then then you develop your little proprietary language of like okay now if this is purple it needs to be slightly less purple or let's do you know and then they, it always ends up getting really ridiculous of like this should be like twelve percent more purple <laughs> and, uh, and so but it's like but then you but you weirdly you know, know exactly what that means, what that means. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know and then that's why it's always so wonderful to work with someone a bunch of times over the course of several yeah. years because then you end up with this huge sort of a common language Bible almost of, yeah. Of, yeah. of common language exactly yeah like growing yeah. up with I've the twin talking, or something I've been talking a lot of, with people lately about how talking about audio is so hard and how yeah. do we cope with that well there's the great phrase you must surely have heard that it's always credited to Woody Allen although I'm not convinced he said it well, yep. talking about music is like dancing about architecture Boxing about dancing. <laughs> uh, I've heard it attributed to uh, Laurie Anderson. I think it is. Maybe I, I, I've I heard remember. it attributed to several people. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, Attributing that quote is like dancing about architecture. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. Whoever and said it, it's damn yeah. true. And even within our circles of audio people, like oh yeah, when it's I'm like better, it's all, it, it all comes down to onomatopoeia. Uh, make it more warm. Yeah, you know right. that right. that yeah. that sort of can mean a lot of things to different people. And like, oh yeah, and I think so it's true. because of the the nature of sound being something that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yep, it only exists when it's happening. Exactly, and it's not something we can sit and study. Yeah, you know, I, there's a painting on the wall, and we can both study the blue in that painting and agree what that blue means to oh, us. Oh, you can you can go further than that. You can look at it from different distances. You can look at it from different angles. You can take the change the light on it. You can look at it when you're in different moods and change the light relative to that. And you yeah. can there's so many variables that you can change in a pretty scientific way. Yeah, that anything evolving or unfolding over time, pretty much you cannot do. You yeah. cannot you cannot just sit in a moment within yeah. a piece and be like like mm-hmm. stop on that chord and then just sort of Let's sit in that chord for a while and think about if it's right or wrong or you know what it's yeah. like you can kind of do that as the composer in a way that's primarily going on in your head yeah. Yeah. but there's no way to actually I remember once it's always contextual with the rest of the piece yeah there was a there was a composer once who was when I was in school John Corleano was giving a master class uh, he's a you know classical guy and and he had the most brilliant analogy for this problem, yeah. where he said, you know, there's this famous Picasso called Guernica, which is this just very large, I can't remember the dimensions, but something like 10 feet across and 6 feet tall or something. And he said, imagine that it's completely covered in fabric, except for like this one inch by one inch square that you can move around, and that's the thing that you can see oh, through. Yeah. So he mm-hmm. said, you, the only way to consume Guernica, which is, you know, the size of a wall is one inch at a time that you can move yourself, which is already now separated it from audio where you can't actually yeah. manipulate that. So maybe it's, maybe it's, to, it's the perfect analogy is that it's, yeah. Yeah, it's scrolling on its own, like some AOL dial-up loading <laughs> image. Uh, and, uh, and that's the way to consume that painting. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you can, that is, you would get something from that experience, but it sure as hell isn't the same as looking at the painting. No, no. And that's just the nature of the beast. But it ends up being the thing that's, you know, it's like the feature, not the bug, about about audio, though, yeah. isn't it? Because you, the fleetingness of it contains its own, its own beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like because I'm only, and that's something I, I mean, I'm curious if you've had similar experiences where I've worked on something and. 
I put, you know, I, I spend a lot of time to like make this perfect gesture at this one moment. It's like yeah. the piece builds and builds and builds, and then I want, you know, like a bell chime right here once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the person on the other end of the table was like, "Oh, I love that. Let's put that everywhere." Yeah. And you're yeah, like, you know, like, that was no, special because it was. Yeah, I was like, you yeah. literally like it because it's the only time you heard it, and exactly. I don't know how to explain that to you without sounding like I'm basically just telling you, "Go fuck yourself." You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but that's sort of the only way to to be emphatic enough because because it can be really hard to. You know, like who sits down at a meal and says, "I just want like a bite of bacon." Yeah, um, and it's like if you like it, you 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 feel like, what's so wrong about having more of it? But it's going to make and, you want bacon. Your your memories of that bacon are going to be very fond. <laughs> it's true; they will be heightened when, when yeah. it's the one you ever had. And it's so I you know that to me is is it is be- there is something so sort of wistful and wonderful about the uh, fleeting quality of what we do. I think I think for me, um, doing sound more than, and the mix of the whole game, but more than music, is the, um, that sort of element comes out in the let's make everything louder than everything else. <laughs> like, I like this. This is loud. We should hear that more. And yeah. you just, every, it's like, well, no, you, you we need space. You need space. You yeah. like that loud because there's space the around it. The upward creep. You know, mm-hmm. and that you can't appreciate this being loud with everything else being loud. You yep. need to be quiet so that that sounds loud. Yeah. And sometimes you have the opposite of, of I can't hear this, let's turn down the music, or turn down this, yeah. until eventually it gets to a point where you say, you know, I really think it's better without music, because now it just sounds like there's this radio on three doors down that, that <laughs> shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. music is just kind of this weird ethereal presence and it's supposed to be kind of this emotional in your face thing mm-hmm. and, and but we've, we've we've mixed it so far down that the experience is actually more compelling with nothing yeah uh, yeah that was actually something I wanted to ask you about because there are a lot of moments in Banner Sega without music yeah and is that how that decision was made was there music or was that from the prototyping phase where like this part's going to be silent a lot of it was discovered as we went, mm-hmm. but I definitely was a big advocate for... I think, generally speaking, games are just too kind of noisy, and they're too yeah. s- music-heavy. Yeah, I think games and film, especially. Definitely, yes. Um, That's something with, uh, with Don't Starve. We didn't want wall-to-wall music. Right. Mm-hmm. So we made music when you do certain things. Music comes in for a little while, and then it... And you appreciate it more. And yep. then it goes yeah. away. You know, Gone Home was another good example of that, where, yeah. where the music only came in during the VO during the narration of the little sister's letters there was yeah. no music at any other point and just like the sound of rain and and um, I thought that was so incredibly effective and even though I usually am not a fan of mechanics driven scoring where it's yeah. like obviously attached to a game event every time right. and so well, it's very diegetic too rather than well there's the tapes that but yeah. what I mean is there would be score underneath you reading oh, the little right, sister's right. letters yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. trigger yeah. happens music plays exactly yes. weep now Yes, yeah. which I, in my case worked. Yeah, <laughs> I wept. Um, there was like a six-month period where even thinking about that really <laughs> actually made me feel that sort of those like, what is this sensation? And uh, the so I'm normally not a fan of that. In that case, it seemed to work because it was yeah. just sort of generally subtle. Mm-hmm. But um, but in the case of the Banner Saga, um, you know, the game is the thing that made me so excited about it was when they they first called me during their Kickstarter campaign, explaining to me the game and bringing me up to speed, and and they said um, that it's um, the way they described it, or rather they explained it to me, and then I basically described it back to them as you know, is this kind of 
the idea, and I said, is this essentially Viking Battlestar Galactica? Where it's not about saving the world, it's about surviving the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's about riding the wave knowing that there's no going back. There's no turning back this series of truly cataclysmic events. It's simply about trying, perhaps totally in vain, to get through it. And mm-hmm. to just hold the people that matter to you close through that process. Uh, which I found incredibly Evocative. I thought yeah. that I want to be a part of something that that's its emotional goal. That's a that's not typical. Games are always about empowerment. They're always about be the hero who saves the world or, or saves the princess or whatever. Yeah. And I love that this was like, nope, that ain't happening. This is about like try to be close to your daughter as the world ends. Yeah. And uh, and I and uh, I I was very moved by that concept, and I felt like a big way to tackle. How moving that was to me was for the predominant sound to be like wind and footsteps and things. Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. when music kind of snuck in, it felt like it actually was pointing to something and not just filling space. Yeah. And um, and they, you know, fortunately, I was again very lucky. Yeah. Uh, that they were totally into that. And well, it's nice it. to get to work in such a minimal space with music sometime too, and to get to yeah spread things out and use and, your time. And honestly, to a certain degree, in a kind of almost objective sense, it really was right for the game. It wasn't yeah. just a stylized choice we were making that mm-hmm. was very ultra-subjective. The big thing was the combat, turn-based combat, yeah. which is, has much more the flavor of chess than, like, say, XCOM, which is turn-based but very high energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We... Um, it's almost like risk in a sense where you know you weigh a decision for a long time in some cases mm-hmm. and so I remember the first passes of music that I made were really like big bombastic ridiculous like things like it's a battle it's a battle yeah. yeah it's like Vikings and giants yeah. guys with horns for God's sake and, yeah. and, uh, and I would play it and it's like imagine playing chess if you have a <laughs> camera watching someone play chess this is what that looks like which I suppose since we're doing a podcast is me standing there like the, the thinker, the, the thinker yeah. exactly and uh, just resting my head on my fist and not moving for 15 minutes and then going click and it's like that experience 15 minutes you, of you, you've got boom, 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 boom. yeah done work <laughs> internally you might be feeling sort of strife but it's it's still got to be kind of muted and tense and not really mm-hmm. and, and then that's when it led me to the thought of what if it's actually tragic what if they're fighting because they have to, but they don't want to. And mm-hmm. so I had this like mental image of like the exhausted warrior picking up his sword as a powerful warrior, mm-hmm. but nonetheless reluctantly going into battle. And that's yeah. what led to this kind of dirge funeral quality to the to the combat music. That mm-hmm. when you reach the end of a significant battle, it does reach something resembling like what we would call battle music. But it, it has to you have to really earn it over the course of like a twenty minute. Experience where mm-hmm. where you're finally down to like two guys left, and actually individual moves are, are happening relatively quickly. But mm-hmm. and then it kind of rhythmically with the gameplay starts to work. But, yeah. but that idea of of like the gameplay, the silence uh, actually feels the way the the mechanics feel. Mm-hmm. And so don't let music interrupt that process yeah. or screw that up. Yeah. Yeah. I saw an interesting thing today, uh, just to bring this back to GDC since we're here. Um, and we're loving the, it. Uh, about the music on Watch Dogs. Um, mm-hmm. And when there's all, you know, all these musical cues and you know, certain things will trigger certain things. And then when the player is being shot at, they cut out the music because they wanted you to focus on, like, you are about Dealing to die. With the this situation. Is re- deal with this important thing that is going right. on. And then when you escape and you you know you lose the police for a bit and people stop shooting, the music comes back in because you're mm. you know you're trying to escape them. So we've got some escaping music and it works. Right. You know, it's, you like it's it. cool. Yeah, and I didn't I, play Watch Dogs, um, so I didn't. I haven't. I've played that. it some, and I saw that and I was like, I didn't even realize that was going 
going on. Like I, think yeah, I was just, perfect. I was just playing the game, which and is that great. Is, well, it's it's funny how I'm. Is that where you guys stand on that idea of like, because that being totally transparent with the music, or well, the question is always speaking specifically of music. Yeah. The question is: Is the perfect score the one that you don't really remember discreetly, or I, is it the one that you can't stop remembering? I, I I'm definitely on the latter side. My favorite scores in film are generally the the more obnoxious. the Star Wars they're, and Indiana Jones type scores. No, they're the, the ones that like are done by rock stars, like, like the Damon Tron Albarn and, ones, and okay, and uh, and like the Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, sure. Scores. Paul Those Thomas ones, Anderson like, movies. They just that stick out and feel obnoxious. And wrong, and add this ambiguity to the scene. Mm-hmm, yeah, I've there always, will be blood, kind of. Score. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I think it goes both ways. I think it depends on the movie, the game. Definitely. Ultimately, you know, that is the answer. Is yeah, that it's, it's whatever's right for the for the experience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think of how do you find when you have some sort of idea that you're like, this is awesome. This is a wonderful musical idea, but it doesn't fit the game. Oh, you, you get rid of you it. Know, you like, kill your darlings. That's just, it's that simple. On yeah. Leisure Suit Larry, I remember there was a scene where the game was nowhere near developed in this particular, it's like the casino. You go to the casino, and then the whole rest of the game basically centers around the casino. So I thought, that's going to be a big moment. You arrive, it's like Caesar entering the gates of Rome, you know? It should feel like, you know, Larry has entered, I, and I got yeah. I got this whole mythology in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. I wrote this big-ass, big band, crazy uh, piece and um, and then the gameplay came online and it's like you just walk in a room right and, and it 100% did not work yeah and I thought and I had spent so long writing this piece and was feeling like you know I've always wanted to write that kind of old Sinatra style big Vegasy big band piece and it just didn't it just it just Absolutely, couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and so I set it aside and I wrote so, something subtle. But then I, as the, as I was budgeting out the the logistics and figuring out this recording session situation, I realized I'll, I actually have time to record it anyway. And yeah. so, so it's on the soundtrack, but it's not in the game. <laughs> nice. Um, and uh, and so yeah, exactly. So because yeah, but usually not. I mean, there's plenty of pieces that I wrote for, in Journey, for example, mm-hmm. where. Like a good example would be in Journey, kind of in the middle of the game, you go into this underground cave, mm-hmm. and it's all very blue and black, and, and, and some players actually were convinced that they were underwater, and, yeah. um, and there's this kind of blowing cloth that sort of moves like a kelp forest under the ocean, yeah, I remember which that is part. partly why yeah. <laughs> they're underwater. And, yeah. um, and I remember long before any of the assets for that were online and ready to go, Genova explained to me... Uh, what there was going to be. He's like, you're going to come to the top of this hill, it's going to reveal kind of like help growing like around sort of equipment and broken down machinery and stuff in this sort of mm-hmm. underground complex, like it's an abandoned factory or something. And um, so I was writing this music that ha- like got pretty, pretty dramatic and emotional over the eye because I had envisioned this rather gorgeous like, like underground forest. Mm-hmm. That you're discovering, and you know, almost like the the lot, like in, you know, this lost civilization. Something a little more full um, of life than yeah. And and I wrote this piece, and I remember Genova called me, and he's and and initially he said, "This is great. This really gives us kind of an emotional rallying point." And then at some point he called me back, like a month later, and said, "The this it's never going to look as good as this sounds." So <laughs> yeah. he said, "You're over. You're it, now as a result. It feels like you're selling me." 
right. on it. Like, look how great this is yeah. when it, when when we know it's not. And, mm-hmm. and, and so he said, therefore, the music needs to be far more subtle. Yeah. And I remember b- being slightly bummed because I thought, oh, I can't wait to hear the orchestra play this. Um, but he was right. He was absolutely right. Yeah. Because then when I walked it back and made it more subtle, then the, then the visuals did suddenly look beautiful and just much more minimal. Yeah. And they didn't feel like they were some unambitious version of an alternate universe mm-hmm. yeah they mm-hmm. were just themselves and so yeah that's yeah. Been, that's always been that it's always been I would we as composers a, like to be like to go big yeah a lot of the time <laughs> and that's because Daniel Olson went through the exact same thing in his talk on uh, Year Walk the other day where everything started out pretty bombastic and it was just like constantly yeah. scaling it back I think that's su- that's kind of, of my uh, just rolling slightly back to like uh, should the music be in your face and always want to listen to or should it be right. super subtle and unheard I I think whatever's right for the, the project as long as it's not like feels overtly telling me what to feel yeah mm-hmm. I agree I always, you know like there's I'm watching a Hollywood film and it's like oh the strings have come in I'm supposed to get sad now right, mm-hmm. right. They, you know and like we're culturally aware enough now that these cues yeah. exist and that and we're Sometimes kind of bored of them, I guess. Or yeah, that's, or you just—it's like trope, a magician a where you see the trick, and therefore yeah. it's not a trick. It's yeah. just—it's it, it, you know, there was that great Penn and Teller thing where where magicians would do a trick for them, and 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 they had to see if they could figure out how they did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's you know, as musicians, that's what we're doing every time we play a game. We're yeah. like, yeah, I get it. I, I've been there. I've done that, and and so, but when someone really surprises me. Um, you you remember what it's yeah like when all it, over again mm-hmm. when I can play a thing and the music can make me feel sad mm-hmm. and you know as part of the experience and I was like, oh, that was great like yeah, I totally agree and that and that experience is like you live for that you know like mm-hmm. uh, I always remember um, it was a licensed piece of music but in uh, Red Dead Redemption when you first uh-huh. cross over into Mexico and the Jose Gonzalez song starts up oh, right. as you're like what it was. Right. walking up the hill and then the, you walk up the hill and there's the sun and you see the glorious vista and it's like it's amazing and I was just like I actually changed how I was playing the game as that song went I would like usually jump on the horse and run to the next objective and I like I stopped and I slowed down and I like took my time while the Mm -hmm. song was playing and enjoyed the view and how beautiful the game was and stuff and it was like okay I know that like ultimately this song is in my face but Mm -hmm. it's awesome yep exactly the funny thing that's happened to me a couple times is where I'll do something where the music is a central part of, of it like Journey yeah and then someone will call me to say, I'd love to hire you to work on my thing. I played Journey. I, I, I really I, I thought it was great. And, and and can you do mine? I take one look at their game, and, and it's so obvious that it needs the opposite of that. That I'm, I'm right. like, It's like I'm getting hired on the premise of doing something that I actually think their game would not benefit from. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and then do you ever, do you ever like recommend people? Cause I've done that before. Cause I well, there've been times orchestral stuff. Well, it's, it's gone in both ways. It's yeah. gone ways where I said, I actually don't think I'm the guy yeah. for what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'll say, actually, I, I have a clear, I feel like I have a very clear line of sight on what this could use, but it's actually not at all what you're recommending. Okay. And, and are you open to that? And sometimes yeah. they're like, Hey, I, I'm I'm here for you in a more philosophical sense than like do that again. Right. Yeah. And in those yeah. cases, it, it's wonderful because then you get to really stretch and grow and try new things. But, mm-hmm. but sometimes mm-hmm. they really do just want kind of something, and I'm always of the attitude of you should get what you want. And, yeah. But if I'm not the guy to provide it to you, mm-hmm. then I'm in your way, and I and I'm happy to step back. Yeah. And and you know that's that's just as valid, I think. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Because yeah, you don't you don't ever want to be guilty of imposing some kind of 
arbitrary musical idea on a game just because you can. Yeah. You know, that to me is always... Every now and again, you get lucky and something really random is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's usually truly lucky if that's the case. Uh, <laughs> in my, At least for me. You know, if I just... Because I'm never, like, looking at a game and go, maybe polka or something, you know? Like, I just... That's just... Because it's just like, it's... Because there you see the trick. It's like, yeah. they put something random. Yeah. Right. Um, and, I mean, but, you know, Monaco is not a period game. No. But we put fully period yeah. music, and I, I'm air quoting for listeners, because um, there are there are contemporary elements to the music. There's a couple subtle... Like, um, but there's just like something about the visual aesthetic that but, really... Well, there were, yeah. I, I think to me it was the it was the it was the it was the it was kind of the rhythm of gameplay had mm-hmm. the frenetic yeah. sort of like low frame rate and therefore kind of um, accelerated look of kind of animation mm-hmm. um, like that where you're like skipping you're skipping interstitial steps when you're watching things happen uh, in old timey early generation footage you know silent film yeah, era yeah. Yeah. things that. That that silent movie theater quality has a franticness to it, and a kind of where the where they're having to work so hard to kind of overcompensate for all kinds of missing <laughs> things yes. um, that um, the game really just naturally clicked with that. So it's yeah. like it there's a there's a philosophical connective tissue. Yeah. Even though the there's nothing about if you watch the game on mute and just and just sort of. You wouldn't Watch guess it. that that's what you the wouldn't music, go, right. You wouldn't go there. And this is one of those things where the de- game developer, Andy Schatz, um, you know, Pocket Watch Games, this was his idea. He called me and said, uh, are you interested in kind of a ragtimey, silent piano score? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I said, I have two questions. Or I have a question and a response to that. The response is yes. <laughs> the question is, what on earth made you think to ask me this? <laughs> um, like, what have I ever done in my life to demonstrate that the answer might have been yes? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the funny thing was, I was into that stuff like yep. as a kid, and so on the phone, I started like improvising, and he yep. was like, "That's Monaco," um, and uh, yeah, so it's pretty awesome. Is there any other crazy ideas like that that you've got floating around your head, waiting for the right game to come along to like? that you're like, aha. Like, as a sound designer, right. I've got, like, a closet full of weird stuff that I'm like, one day, <laughs> the like, I will need to make a sound for some creature or something, and I'll be like, that's that thing in the back of the closet. Like, I just need to go grab it and record it, and that's yeah. that's why I've been keeping that for five years. <laughs> Interestingly, like, is there anything you're like, I really want to do, you know, this, and I'm just waiting for the right person to come along and go, I've got a game, and you're like, I know it. This is... Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, like, nice. yeah. <laughs> the, you've uh, you've been looking for this, and you didn't know it. Yeah, I. It's interesting because I have a lot of ideas where I'll be working on something, and I'll say it's not right for the thing I'm working on. Yeah, but maybe someday down the road, yeah. it's going to be perfect. But the funny thing is. I've never used any of those things because yeah. when the thing comes down the road later, I think of new things in reaction to it. Yeah, and and I so I have just like this pile of unused stuff, like because I write, I write a lot of. Uh, I, I'm a big sort of fan of, of very kind of focused, uh, hopefully strong melodies. I yeah. like I like I like melodies that feel like they can stand on their own regardless of whatever kind of orchestration you put them through or, or mm-hmm. setting or genre of music or anything where they like you can just you could you can you can hear them through the layers of whatever setting you put them in musically. Yeah. Um, and you know not everything should have the earwormy catchy 
quality necessarily, but but there still be some kind of sense to to the melody. It's just one of those things I, I realized that all the music I really loved growing up was more or less like that. And so mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> when I'm starting a project, I always start with what is the kind of melodic anchor of this going to be and sometimes yeah. there's several or you know it's, it always is very but I usually start with like what's just like the one simple backbone of this going to be and I'll write a ton of them yeah before I get there and I'll, I'll spend like it's like I'll start a day and I'll just write something and then I'll move on to something else yeah and I'll just let it stew and the next day I sit down and just write something and I'm like is this better than what I wrote yesterday and yes okay so screw the one from yesterday and the next day I come and I'm like actually maybe the first days was <laughs> they kind of go through this weird g- game of self-doubt and self-loathing, yep. mm-hmm. and uh, and and so I end up with piles of melodies yeah. that I will never use because I go. It's like I then move the, all the sheets of paper aside, yeah. and the next game comes along, and I go through that whole process again, and possibly something from this discard pile of the previous project could mm-hmm. somehow work, but it always somehow f- feels like it should be coming from the task at hand. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I, 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 yes, the answer is yes. I have all these ideas that I think someday I'd love to do this. But then when the moment comes, it's like, well, but what if instead I did this? And, and yeah. so yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. really gone back to those yeah. wells. And, and, and is the there any, is like, it probably means they're not very good. That's right. the thing. That's the, we think, you know, it's like you convince yourself, oh, this is a great melody. Someday I'm going to use this. And yeah. Yeah. I come back to it. And I'm like, well, it's actually really not. I did special. manage to revive a seven-year-old song this year. And I was Ooh, so happy about nice. that. Nice. Just, well, I rewrote it as well. But the, the, <laughs> well, core, see, the core was still in there. The core was in there. So close. The core catchy bit was in there. Building on that, I think people would be interested in knowing, like, what the general logistic linear flow for you is like so when you when oh. you say you're writing are you are you tinkering on the piano or are you doing it in the computer are you actually writing notes on paper it's all of the above actually yeah. I, I think I try to I have a, my little like catchphrase sorry that this feels almost like a scripted answer but I've been, <laughs> I've been asked this a lot and yeah. my little my little sort of saying is that um, you know we always want to feel like we're in the groove right we're, yeah. we're really we're in a state of flow Mm-hmm. Um, but my little my little catchphrase is that I can never really tell when I transition from being in the groove to being in a rut. Yeah. And if I have a very practiced, ritualized way of working, that feels like that a rut. It will start to feel like a rut at some point. And so I try to make not only every piece of music, every new project, um, feel fresh and new. But the actual means by which I create it should also be fresh and new as much mm-hmm. as I as much as I can. Now I think there's more music to be written than there are processes for writing music. So inevitably I will yep. do some things similarly. You're, you're going to come back to notes on the paper at some point. Exactly. Because, yeah. But I try to not have like a standard like I always start this way, I always do blah this, blah blah. This yeah. I'm working with wax cylinder piano rolls this time. Exactly. It's true. Well, I mean, and it can, from project to project too, yeah, right? I, I think Absolutely, yeah, that's that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying is that, you know, sometimes I'll start and I'll write everything by hand. Yeah. And then I'll hand it to a musician and say, Well you just play this and I'll put a microphone in front of them and it's like crazy, it's sort of very organic organic and rustic of a process and Mm -hmm. other times I sit there in digital performer and I spend like thousands of hours perfecting some mock-up or some production of of, of something electronic whatever Um, and uh, and then I'm like okay now here's the thing and sometimes it's just you know come over I'm going to play piano for you or whatever you know And even though I'm a terrible pianist it's kind of I do similar things with sound design I always thought I was just just... too disorganized (laughs) (laughs) no but that's good but that's no but that's the thing it's like that the process is the lack of process yeah, the yeah. lack of because some composers are the opposite they can't 
get to where they feel like they're working well unless mm-hmm. they have this very almost like OCD series of steps that they yeah. have to take. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just, that it, that's what works for them. And it's yeah. like all power to you. I'm not really that guy. <laughs> but that's but you know if but finding that that's the case for you and, and being yeah. empowered by it that's huge and so yeah. go with it you know yeah yeah we like yeah I, I approach sound design stuff similar like a project come up and we're like okay um, I'm going to record all my source this way for this right or I'm going to focus on doing this like this is kind of the totally you know the things that so I what's use. the most outlandish sound design adventure or recording or production or whatever like how far down the rabbit hole have you gone with okay I've really never done it this way before um, well I'm looking forward to okay uh, and I know uh, I'll accept a, that a cash did it on Hyperlight Drifter I have yeah. acquired a wire recorder a wire recorder and I am lo- excited to find the project where I'm like the wire recorder is where I'm going to get my. I'm going to record all yeah. my source on that this time around. That's pretty awesome. One one ones I'm doing, which well, it's more composition, but it's very sound design driven composition. Is for this game called Bunker Punks, and it's sort of a post apocalyptic thing. And I'm collaborating with another composer, and we're going to do all the music with like on like tape. Like we're going to sample. Wow. Yeah. Well, gonna, I like the. We did a f- first song like of almost entirely sampled cassettes tapes I've with embellishment some, for to fill up the frequencies. I've got some old tape That's machines awesome. and like consumer level quarter inch machines and stuff that are really are fun to get into that kind of like mm-hmm. get out of the computer like get yeah, back to whatever uh, analog processing yeah, totally you can with you. you know you can deal with is always. A I've fun never thing. actually recorded to tape. Like at a session, I, that would be insanely uh, like uh, an orchestra. Mine's something. a Fisher Price recorder. That's what it, <laughs> oh, isn't yeah, yeah. awesome! I, uh, I started out in the music. <laughs> That's music actually industry. kind of amazing. <laughs> I started out in the music industry and was lucky. It was right at the transition of big studios closing down and the mm-hmm. move to like eight ats and then right. to computers. But I worked on two inch and like wow. I've cut two inch tape and it's scary. The first time you cut two inch tape is the most nerve wracking and thing. the last time you do. Uh, so uh, you know I've. <laughs> I never get comfortable with that. I've worked uh, orchestral sessions, and that's incredibly nerve-wracking. Being the engineer or assistant on a session where you're responsible for all this and you know the dollar figures in your head of, like, as soon as that... One inch of tape equals... And and the fact that that headphone has gone down and you need to find which, like, you need... One of the headphones went. You need to figure out where it went and replace it while the whole entire orchestra looks at you running around. Oh, well, that's a whole... You're like, the dollars are ticking in your head. But that's still... And then that was recorded on a tape. Digital technology has nothing... Does not save you that stress, though. No, no, no. That, that still you, exists. Yeah. And then you combine that possibly with the fact that you recorded on two-inch tape and you're going to do an edit and you're like, this is it. Yeah. I've got one chance. I, I, I got to see some absolute masters cut tape and I, I like imagine. learn from them. But yeah, the first time oh, I was like, all right, I'm going to do my own edit. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> a couple of years ago, Seth MacFarlane did a big band album. Yeah. Of, and I went to the recording sessions for that. They did it at Capitol Records Studio A and, and they did that to tape. He, yeah. He went, he went, Hundred percent old school wow. on that album, which I, I loved about him. I loved everything about that yeah. project, and, and uh, that guy's talent is just astronomical. And yeah. he, uh, and yeah, they they had to like re, they had to dig up the old recorder, uh, old tape, all the all the whole infrastructure for it. It was yeah. just gone, and so 
you know, it was like, okay, we're going to start a tape and you, or start a take and you hear the, you know, the click and it's, as the thing is rolled. It was so cool to That's see. It so felt cool. like traveling back in time, especially because it was a capital. Yeah. You know, you weren't, you weren't it. And then you're, you're roll, when you're rolling tape, I'm, even on when we were rolling ADATs and stuff, I did a lot of like improv jazz recording wow. and you're like, you're improving. You know that there's 20 minutes of tape left, and you're like worried. Are, is it going to make it? Right. Right. Yeah, we're going to run out before the pieces. Yeah. Like, are they going to stop? Yeah. Or like, can I run another take? Or you know, I love I love those uh, considerations. There's because it makes you think. It, it just the you know I'm a big fan. Constraints are just kind of always good. Yeah. Basically, yeah, it's so necessary. Well, I think we're uh, getting about about, about time, time here. So. All right. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast no, and thank talking you guys. with us. I, I'm, I'm thrilled to I'm thrilled to have done it. And appreciate you and the pleasure. The appreciate the invitation very much. And it's look look where cats can lead you. Yeah, look where I know. <laughs> I, I, cat comments. I, I, well, we barely even talked about cats. Too. <laughs> I, frankly, I'm disappointed in the caliber of this podcast. <laughs> cats are made. We're not brief. truly topic egalitarian on it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's tremendous it's, favoritism of game audio for a show, and beards barely even made the cut. So. It's, it's a scam, really. Yeah, yeah people just, came for the beards and left horribly disappointed. Yeah, it's a good thing. I don't know how one podcasts about beards. I think it's fairly visual, probably con- kind concept. I bet there's one out there. I'm sure. I bet there is one. There's no beards, cats, commercial and, drive and audio, in Vancouver. Though. It'll be based there. Well, yes. Thank you for for having me. I. Uh, it was wonderful. I enjoy Great. I enjoy chatting with right. fellow travelers in yep. this wonderful uh, this wonderful space. I am actually that idealistic. I really do just freaking love this job and love this industry and this community and, and, and like you know because like I work in movies, but no one ever I never sat down for a conversation like this yeah. in the mm-hmm. in the world of film and, and that's not a complaint so much as it is just praise for this. Industry. I think we can kind of. I'm. I'm also a firm believer. Like the the game audio community around GDC is awesome. just amazing, and so I good. look forward every year to coming down here and seeing all these amazing, wonderful people that I get to see once a year. It's and like your share, summer camp friends. Yeah, and it's, share stories exactly. and learn yeah, from yeah. each other and yep. get each other excited about doing what we do again. Exactly. For it's the, the next it's year. The, it's the. It, it's it absolutely took the words out of my mouth. So what I always tell people is that it's the it's the week that that like energizes you sufficiently to to get through the following 51 weeks yeah <laughs> uh, because then GDC is basically just the fuel to the next year's GDC I really am that kind of like you know yes you can put that on the damn poster if you want uh, <laughs> for you know selling badges to GDC because I do love it that much yeah um, that's where we'll end right. so enjoy right, the rest guys. of it yeah. I shall and right back at you